837, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We will follow, we are following the breaking news story. There's been a workplace shooting in Orlando. Um, a number of people, at least the early reports are, a number of people are dead. We will, we will monitor that and continue to keep you updated. Again, the initial indications are that this is not an act of terrorism. Rather, it is an act of domestic whatever you want to call it. Um, we'll continue to keep you updated. For those of you who've been watching television this morning, um, high-speed chase in Waukesha County. And, and I bring this up simply because I understand for some people who live in these suburbs, the, the general response is all these crime problems that I hear people talk about, it's Milwaukee's problem. It's, it's nobody else's. Well, I, I don't know. But um, yesterday what happened is in contrast to the Milwaukee Police Department, which will only chase vehicles if they have evidence to believe that there's something that a crime of violence essentially has been engaged in. So if the Milwaukee police watch somebody driving 100 miles an hour, blowing through a red light in a stolen car, and the person just drives off, they will let them drive off. That is the policy as implemented by Tom Barrett and, and Ed Flynn. They'll let them go, and the word is out that that's what you do, and so you drive away. They will chase if there's evidence, for example, that the car was taken in a carjacking or something like that. But in general, they just let people go. In the suburbs, well, authorities are not quite as progressive, recognizing that if you just let people drive off, you will be encouraging people then to run with the, on the police. And if you have, for example, people driving a stolen car, and you just let them drive off in that car, you know that just as sure as God made little green apples, that a day or two later, those same people will probably have stolen another car. So there's not quite as progressive slash liberal slash soft a policy when it comes to people chasing cars. In any event, what happened was about 1.30 in the morning, um, Waukesha authorities see a stolen car speeding um, around State Highway 83. Instead of just letting the car drive away, Waukesha County authorities um, chase it. Car takes off, tries to run. Sheriff's vehicles catch up to the vehicle. Two suspects ditch it and run away. The passenger is found right away. Then a manhunt begins. Actually, with some compelling pictures this morning. I mean, authorities say, hey, we we watched the driver of this stolen car run into this wooded area, and rather than just letting him get away, they um, set up a perimeter, they began searching, and ultimately, they just recently, they caught the guy. Apparently, he was hiding in a shed on somebody's property. It was taken into custody. Now, I don't know. I don't know, but here's the parlor game. Um, Hondo, who's producing the show today and always, what do you want to bet the odds are that the person that they arrested is from the city of Milwaukee? Hondo says 100%. I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not quite willing to go 100%, but my guess is probably at least 85% that, again, this is this is not a homegrown car theft. We, we will see, and I'm prepared to be proven wrong, but, again, for people in the suburbs to think, well, crime is a problem in Milwaukee, uh, not really, because Milwaukee criminals, perhaps emboldened by the soft-on-crime policies that you see in Milwaukee, they're starting to expand, and they're finding, I think, perhaps that the suburbs treat these matters a little differently. All right, we start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. Big thing number one, Saturday, another terrorist attack in London. This is the third terrorist attack in three months. There was the the car that drove across the the bridge 
hitting a number of people and killing them. That was three months ago. Then, of course, you had the suicide bombing outside the concert, what, a week and a half ago. And then yesterday, you had seven, uh, Saturday in Britain, in London, you had seven people who were killed. Um, they estimate maybe as many as 41, 48 people were injured by three knife-carrying men who carried out what is described as a deadly rampage in the capital on Saturday night, plowed a rented white van into pedestrians on a London bridge, and then started stabbing people in the area. There's all sorts of pubs and restaurants around. This is a busy Saturday night. I mean, think about... Think about Rush Street in Chicago. Think about, you know, Water Street in Milwaukee on a busy Saturday night. A car plows into a bunch of people who've congregated out on the streets. Three guys get out and start stabbing people indiscriminately. At least one of the men was born in Pakistan. It wasn't sure whether he was a British citizen or not. Twelve people have been arrested thus far in connection with the attack. Like I say, this is uh, the attack brings to 34 the number of people who were killed in three terrorist incidents in the United Kingdom. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, in Great Britain, there's going to be an election in about a week, um, just a few days, as a matter of fact. And these terrorist activities have kind of changed the dynamic of the election. The, the conservative prime minister, who was thought to be a shoe-in, now not necessarily so much so as Britain is responding. Um, again, concern, the United Kingdom concerned that you have all these various attacks that are going on. The terrorists clearly feel emboldened. They estimate that authorities in Great Britain have identified and have stopped Maybe up to 300 attacks that were planned over the last couple of years, but more and more of these attacks are, are now occurring, and it is becoming increasingly clear that it is more and more difficult to stop those. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I want to discuss with you. So far, these attacks have been in the United Kingdom, but if there is anything that we are seeing it demonstrates how vulnerable we all are to these things. Rented van. In this case, it wasn't firearms. It's a rented van that is used as a weapon, and a bunch of guys with knives using the element of surprise that get out. And authorities, actually, I mean, they were able to contain the situation very, very quickly in just a matter of minutes. But in that matter of minutes, you had these people who were motivated, and they were able to kill seven and stab a number of others. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, I am very concerned that something like this could happen here, and I think that we need to be more aggressive. How worried are you that something like this could happen here? Is this just a random sort of thing, or do you think this is the next phase in the war that Islamic extremists are waging against the West. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 844. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 847. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers' homestand continues when the Brewers welcome the San Francisco Giants to Miller Park tonight. Bob and Jeff are in the booth, and we'll have the call beginning at 6.05, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Yeah, it is still, despite two very difficult losses over the weekend to the Los Angeles Dodgers, it's still the first-place Milwaukee Brewers. Um, there, there's a piece that, that I saw over the weekend that, that says something that I absolutely agree with. I think, I think these terrorist attacks in London on Saturday – 
pretty clearly demonstrate that that we have reached a tipping point in the campaign that Islamic terrorists are waging against the West, and we need to wake up to it. Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a war on. It is World War III. And we got to fight it. And I don't think we are. There's many, many more tools that can be brought to bear against the enemy. And one of them, from my, uh, from my perspective that I've been mulling on and talking to my friends about, is family deportation. Is like, okay, anybody living in that house with those people who are either getting radicalized or mm-hmm. planning something, the family knows something is up. If you don't react to what these, these major changes going on in front of your eyes, you're complicit. If you're complicit in, 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 in the killing of your fellow citizens, you don't... Right, you send them... I'm sorry, your cell phone was breaking up there. That, and that, that, I think, is actually one of the things that they are looking at in the United Kingdom is the whole what you're talking about, the whole concept of, you know, if... Especially, one of the problems that you have, though, is, of course, more and more of the terrorists... Um, they might be radicalized outside of countries, but you, you have if you have a generation or two of people who've come into this country, in some cases they might be citizens of whether it's great of the United Kingdom or, or whether it's the United States, then this this becomes more difficult. Let me just share with you this piece. Of, it, it was off of Fox News, um, John Moody. Let me read a portion of this. Um, let's see. They quote a, a security expert. My view is that we are no longer facing random acts of terrorism says Frank Gaffney, a terror expert who is president of the Washington-based Center for Security Policy. We have reached a tipping point. This is now an insurgency. Gaffney, who has warned of the dangers of Islamic extremism for years, thinks the latest series of attacks is the natural evolution of years of recruitment among British Muslims by terror cells like ISIS, the Muslim Brotherhood, and Al-Qaeda. The Muslim terrorist population in Britain and Europe no longer feels constrained to live by stealth, he says. They have built an infrastructure. They have put it in place, and now they are moving up to the next level. Um, He calls the new phenomena Sharia supremism and warns that the United States is on the same trajectory He's right. And the column continues, far, for far too long, Western societies, including the United States, have tried to rationalize what has now become an avalanche of violent hatred of democratic freedom, basic human rights, and freedom to choose if and how to worship. We have asked if some of this is our fault, if we haven't listened to the voices of religious extremism, or if we have failed to understand their message. The result in Britain, government officials estimate that there are now more than 20,000 jihadists living among the population. Here's their message. We hate you and want to kill you. David in Mequon. David, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. And good morning, Jeff. Uh, I just wanted to say a couple things. One, it is becoming to a point to where for some odd reason, and people are in denial, and I think too many people are in denial, I should say, and what's happening is it is becoming like the new normal, because mm-hmm. this is this is not only happening with a lot of frequency, but it's happening in a lot of other countries just besides Great Britain. Right. You've got, you got Germany, you've had you know the Norwegian countries, you've right. had Belgium, you can go on and on and on, and, and you can see how it's translating because um, another thing I just want to point out, Italy just had a, a big soccer game the other day, and there was a firecracker or something that, that accidentally got set off or something. You had literally hundreds of thousands of people running for their lives. Right. Like 1,500 people got 
trampled yesterday. I'm, I'm not sure if anybody got killed. But this is the kind of situation now to where, unfortunately, we have to look at it. And the BBC News also reported that they said that they have literally tens of thousands, an officer said this, tens of thousands of people that they suspect that could be huh. radicalized, that, that have plans, that are not going to all come out at once. It, right. you know, it's like a little nip and tuck. And um, it, it's very scary. It's, oh, no, it, it's, it is. No, thanks. See, and, that, and that's the same point that the, I was just making, what I was citing. That, I mean, they estimate in Great Britain alone there's 20,000 jihadists. Now, okay, m- maybe that number's high. Maybe there's 10,000. Maybe there's 30,000. But, you know, these are, are radicalized extremists who are and it's not just a question of bombs. I understand there was the suicide bombing, you know, outside the concert in Manchester. But I mean, um, yesterday or the attack at uh, on the bridge a couple of weeks ago, it, it's a rented van, and it's three people. They, these guys yesterday or on Saturday were wearing um, fake suicide vests. Um, but but they get out, and in a matter of, of moments, armed with knives, they're able to create th- this carnage. And, and that's one of the scary things, too, is that now you have ordinary ordinary vehicles. I mean, you, you don't need to use anything fancy. You get into that rented van. Well, okay, what are we going to do, stop renting vans? But the, the point of this is we are at war, and people who want to stick their heads in the sands and pretend that we are not at war um, have to wake up and realize that this is these are attacks and this is unfortunately i mean look i hope this never happens in the united states and i I think our intelligence agencies and i think law enforcement obviously does a very good job of trying to scour the dark corners of the internet or use informants or whatever and try to identify this but at the same time I have to believe that there are these extremists that are out there plotting ways to try to create this type of carnage, that they're getting bolder and bolder and bolder. And I think we need, again, to kind of wake up, because there's a lot of people who are pretending that this can't happen here. Well, we we learned that that's not true after 9-11. But they're also, I think, trying to pretend that, well, all right, we, we just... We 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 want to we want to be careful with these things, you know. We we want to if you see something, say something. But at the same time, you know, we want to be politically correct. We don't worry about these type of things. Well, nuts to that. I mean, nuts to that. The reality is, as I've been saying for a while, you don't have seventy-five-year-old ladies on walkers who are engaging in these types of terrorism. And we use the word, oh, you know, we can't do profiling. Well, y- yes, yes, you can. Yes, you can. There are certain individuals and there are certain characteristics of people who are carrying out these type of attacks. And that doesn't mean that everybody who fits one of these characteristics is going to carry out an attack. It doesn't mean that more than, you know, point zero 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 one percent might be inclined to do that. But still, we need to be vigilant and we can't allow political correctness to get in the way. It's 855. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 8.58, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Should authorities be checking the Facebook accounts of visitors and tourists coming into the United States, or is that going too far into one's privacy? Scafidi and Bilstadt want you to weigh in on the debate. That is today at 12.35. Be sure to check that out. Boy, time flies. Um, I just, my, my niece uh, graduates from high school on Friday, and I just, it's, it's, she's my goddaughter, and it just, it seems like just yesterday that, that she was born. I can remember it like yesterday. Time, time flies. Today, five years ago today, was the recall election. Tom Barrett, Scott Walker, 
Barrett, again, running to try to unseat Scott Walker, failed spectacularly. The recall election five years ago today. Someday, sometimes that, that seems like it was just yesterday. Other times it, it seems like it was decades ago. Governor Walker is going to join me at 1035. We're going to look back on that whole recall process and what happened and where we've gone since then. That's coming up at 1035, so stay tuned. Coming up in just a couple minutes, it's big thing number two. It is a huge story up in Appleton, and the protesters are already out in force. Why do we have to racialize everything? We'll discuss. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 909. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. Big story number two. It comes to us from the Fox River Valley. This, if you haven't heard about it, you will. It is a huge issue in Appleton. There's a bar in Appleton called Jack's Apple Pub. I have never been to Jack's Apple Pub based on what I am hearing about it. It's a place I would not go. Um, neighbors describe it as, well, I, slaughterhouse might be too strong a word, but it's it's a problem sort of bar. <laughs> um, neighbors say lots of fights, broken bottles, arguments, all those type of things on College Avenue in Appleton. What happens a couple weeks ago, this is Saturday night, Sunday morning, May 20th, 21st. Um, what happens is, and apparently there, there's always police that are in the area, there are shots that are fired inside the bar. An Appleton police lieutenant, um, his name is Jay Steinke, and he's been on the force for almost 30 years. So I, I put this in the background. This is not a rookie cop this is not somebody with a – this is not a problem cop. This is a lieutenant. His name is Jay Steinke. He's in the area. They hear shots that are being fired inside this crowded bar on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. And people are, are, are running. Now, the shots are being fired by a, a guy who's um, – his name is Henry Nellum. He is he is a felon. He has a gun. He apparently got into an argument with somebody else and pulled out the gun and began shooting at another man in the bar. So you've got this crowded bar. You've got a bunch of people who are drunk. You've got a convicted felon carrying a gun who pulls the gun out and starts shooting in the crowded bar. People start running for the door. Lieutenant Steinke is apparently outside the bar. Get the reports. There's shots fired. He starts going into the bar. He sees the bad guy, the shooter, Nellum, gun in his hand, coming at him. He fires four times in a matter of a couple seconds. Um, What happens is that as he's apparently firing um, the gun, he, he gets jostled by somebody who's, like, running out of the building. He hits... He hits the shooter. He hits Henry Nellum. He also, one of the bullets that he's fired, that after, and I think the story is after he's been jostled, one of the bullets hits and unfortunately kills another man who is in the bar. Innocent bystander um, in the bar, apparently was there with two women and was drinking. Um, the, The man who was shot and killed had nothing to do at all with the shooting. Again, just an innocent bystander in this particular case. But 
but you can understand what happens. This is a matter of seconds. This is guy shooting up the bar. Police lieutenant runs in, um, sees what is going on, sees the guy with the gun, shoots at the guy with the gun, gets jostled, hits the guy with the gun, and also shoots and kills a bystander. All right, it, it is a it is a tragic situation in the extreme. There's no question about it. But this is all in a matter of seconds. So the authorities sit down and they review this. And immediately after this happens, there, there's protest. And I, I, it's unfortunate to mention this, but the, the reality, this is the world we live in. Uh, Lieutenant Stanky is, is white. The man who was shot and killed was black, right? The, the bystander. Stanky wasn't trying to shoot him. He got jostled. He was trying to shoot at the guy who was shooting up the bar with the gun. All right, so on Friday... What happens is the authorities, the Outagamie County District Attorney, you know, they have a press conference, and, and what she says is, we've looked at this, and we've concluded that no criminal actions will be pursued against the officer involved in this incident. Said that, you know, we, we don't find there's a basis to believe that, you know, the guy, the, uh, the lieutenant in this case, you know, committed a, a crime. Um, the family of the man who shot... Well, they've already got a lawyer. They, they are outraged. He was wrongfully shot, and he's gone, and the person who took him is not being held accountable. We will not let this get swept under the rug, you know, his sister says. Um, his other members of his family express frustration with the results, say they would be filing a federal civil rights lawsuit. You know, they're, they are upset um, says that the officer wasn't doing his job when he fatally shot, you know, her brother. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. This is an unfortunate situation. You know, an innocent bystander in this case lost his life. Right? That is an unfortunate situation. Um, but what frustrates me is this, and look, I believe there is real racism in this world. I, I do. I do, I do. But what frustrates me is this immediate desire and this res- that some people have that we have to racialize everything. And a matter of fact, at the press conference, I'm told in Appleton, there was one reporter saying, you mean to tell me that you have a white police officer who shot an unarmed black man in his bar and there's not going to be any sort of accountability? Well, all right, under these facts and circumstances, now, I, I, there, there, I get that there's probably going to be a lawsuit that will argue whether or not the officer was negligent in his discharge of his weapon under these circumstances. But a lot of the usual suspects are running to racialize this and are upset that the officer is not being criminally charged. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I don't know about you, but I don't see any basis at all for criminal charges in connection with this case against anyone except for the guy, the convicted felon who's drunk, who has the gun, who pulls it out and starts shooting up the bar in the first place. He is the one that sets off an unfortunate chain of events. And again, maybe there'll be a... Maybe there'll be a civil negligence suit brought against the police officer or something like that, you know, arguing, you know, gee, should he have, should he have just, should he have tried to disarm, should he have tried to take down the shooter, um, or should he have just let him shoot and kill other people, you know, in the crowded bar. But as far as criminal charges, as far as 
any suggestion that this officer tried to shoot a man because the victim in this case was African-American and he was white, I think is insulting. I think it is misguided. There is no, in my opinion, basis for criminal charges to be brought against the officer. And it is unfortunate that some people would choose to racialize this. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. The district attorney says no criminal charges to be brought against the officer. Again, an almost 30-year veteran of the Appleton Police Department. Is justice being done? I say yes. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 916. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 919. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Again, this, this river cruise that we're going to be doing, I'm, I'm really very excited about it. Um, like I said, I, I said no to, to various trips for a long time, and then Fox World Travel came around and really kind of blew me away on this one. So um, the, the get-together to explain it, and I'm, I'm told that lots of people are signing up to at least check it out. It's a week from tomorrow. Um, if you want all the details, again, the Fox World Travel website has them, and we're going to have a lot of fun. There's just no question about it. Hey, did you know one of the nation's top geographers students resides right here in Milwaukee. John McCure sets out to stump this 14-year-old from Mequon during Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Don't miss it at 3.20 today. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, this situation of what happened in Appleton is truly, it is unfortunate. You have a guy, convicted felon, with a gun, in a bar, late on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, pulls out the gun and starts shooting people. Police officer responds to the shots fired. People are running out of the bar. The guy with the gun apparently starts coming at the officer. The officer fires four shots in two seconds as he shoots um, to try to, again, disable, kill, whatever, the guy with the gun. He is jostled, and one of the bullets ends up hitting and killing a man who's a bystander in the bar. That That's... That is apparently what happened. This all happens in a matter of seconds. The officer involved is a lieutenant with the Appleton Police Department who's been there for almost 30 years. And there are people, once again, who are out there trying to, you know, racialize this. Oh, this is terrible. Black lives matter. Well, black lives do matter. You know, blue lives matter. White lives matter. Um but but really, 414-799-1620. Let's look at our text line. Imagine the outrage if one guy shoots another guy in the bar and the officer just stood outside and did nothing. This was a police officer protecting the crowd. Accidents happen. Wrong place at wrong time does happen. The officer did his job of trying to protect and serve the public. He should be praised. Um... Yes. I mean, I think there's, you know, something to be said about that. Deb in West Dallas writes, I think they should sue the guy that started all the shooting. The police officer did nothing wrong. You see, that's that's it. If you want to try to find out who the bad guy is in this situation, if you want to try to figure out where the outrage needs to be directed at, it's it's the drunken felon who pulls out a gun and starts shooting up the bar. You know, what's the police officer supposed to do? Stand around? Matter of fact, we have another text. Are you supposed to let the shooter take out three, four, five people and have the officer sit there and wait for it to happen? If the officer did not take the shot, then he would have failed to act and would have been facing charges anyways. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And again, maybe maybe you can criticize, it, and I, I guarantee you, there's going to be lawsuits that are going to argue that the officer was negligent or irresponsible or claim that he violated his training or, you know, whatever, you know, what 
whatever you know the arguments are going to be, and that's fine. You know, you settle out, you determine whether he was negligent, and and you work it out in a court. But the, the the idea of trying to racialize this, we're going to file a federal civil rights lawsuit. We think the officer, this was a white police officer who murdered a black man. Well, that's not what happened here, and you don't solve the, you don't serve. The, the cause of trying to do away with racism by trying to racialize incidents that do not have racial components to them. This was an officer presented with a situation where, unfortunately, he had to pull his gun and he had to react to an active shooting situation. And there was a bad result. There was a bad result. No question about it. And if that was somebody who was close to me, who was shot in the bar, I admit I'd be unhappy. I'd be outraged. I'd be mad at this. But I wouldn't necessarily be mad at the police officer. I would be mad at the bad guy, the man who put this situation into motion in the first place. The other interesting aspect of this is that apparently there's somebody else who who helped the guy, the shooter, by hiding, trying to hide the gun. You know, they, they've caught them, too, and there's charges as, as well there. This is an unfortunate situation, and I understand there's probably going to be marches. There's probably going to be lawsuits. But when you hear about this Appleton situation, understand that trying to racialize it serves nothing and, candidly, is extremely extremely misguided and i think part of the problem is some of the reporting up in the area has just again maybe it's people trying to win the pulitzer prize or everybody thinking that they're um going to be woodward and bernstein but you know the media up in the fox river valley at least a couple members have tried to jump on the effort to try to racialize this and try to see something where it's really not there this bad situation but the use of force by the officer in the first place clearly 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 appropriate it's 924 jeff wagner 620 wtmj speaking of racializing things i guess being a left-wing comedian means you get to say anything stick around it's big story number three It's 927, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I guess being a big thing number three, being a liberal comedian means uh, never having to be held uh, accountable. Matter of fact, a little bit later, we're going to be talking about the um, Kathy Isis Griffin press conference that was an absolute and complete and total disaster on Friday. But uh, Friday night, Friday night, Bill Maher, who does his... Um, Real Time with Bill Maher show, they tape it live on Friday. He... He's interviewing um, a, a senator, Ben Sasse, from Nebraska, and they introduce him, and they're having the, this dialogue, and the, the senator says, um, hey, you, you'd be really welcome. Why don't you come out to Nebraska sometimes? And, and they're, they're talking about the agricultural community, and he says, we'd love, this is what the senator says, we'd love to have you work in the fields with us, to which Bill Maher says, work in the fields Senator, I'm a house, and then he uses the N word, <laughs> and you know the the audience kind of laughs, and uh, the senator unfortunately doesn't condemn this. He kind of like smiles un- uncomfortably. But you're using the N word, and this is live on 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 HBO. Um, afterwards, 
HBO reacts by saying that um, that they find this to be inexcusable and tasteless, and they say that they're going to edit the show to remove this on any subsequent airings. But otherwise, no no action against Bill Maher. Now, interestingly, the the, the left has started to, to again criticize this. Um, former Baltimore mayoral candidate and a Black Lives Matter um, activist says Bill Maher has to go. There are no explanations that make this acceptable. Um, Al Sharpton, of all people, says that Bill Maher decided to get on television last night and sanitize and normalize the N-word. Just because Bill Maher is a liberal and our friend, you don't give him a pass. You should never get to use that term. Um, hmm. All right. HBO doesn't appear to be willing to do anything. Maher comes out afterwards and says, well, gee, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't say that. It was a particularly long night, and I regret the word I used in the banter of a live moment. The word was offensive. I regret saying it, and I'm very sorry. Well, of course, that's what he's saying after you get the negative response that he gets. Uh, again, I always look at, I try to reverse things, and if this was Tim Allen doing a live stand-up show on HBO... And the same thing happened, and he used this word. Tim Allen would never be back on HBO again. But because it's Bill Maher, apparently it's not that big a deal. And my point is you cannot have double standards. If you would, again, say this is unacceptable if it was going to come from a conservative, and you know that's what would happen, well, then, isn't it unacceptable if it comes from somebody like Bill Maher? And sometimes saying you're sorry shouldn't necessarily be good enough. It's 935. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hope you had a great weekend. Just, uh... Absolutely tremendous weather. Now it's dropped, the temperature's dropped about 25 degrees, but very pleasant outside, 57 degrees at our studio. Our WTMJ Classic Free Ride is out of our garage and ready to head into yours. You can register online to win the 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible by heading to WTMJ.com, sponsored by Prescient Financial Solutions with Northwestern Mutual. And don't forget to text the word RIDE to 414-799-1620 to check out a photo gallery of your next car. All right. If some people get their way, when you turn on your cell phone, you might find that your voicemail box is filled and your phone never rang. Now, this, this is how technology is advancing. All right, there, there's a law that goes back to 1991. It's called the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. It is a federal law which prohibits calling cellular phones with automated dialing and artificial or pre-recorded voices without first obtaining consent, except in an emergency. Now, I don't know how vigorously that law is enforced because I, I will tell you, I get all sorts of unsolicited calls from different people now sometimes it's tough to tell it's really without consent because sometimes if you've signed up for a credit card in the small print you know you when you sign up for the credit card you give them consent to talk to you but but in general the law says you can't telemarket 
um, with these automated calls um, to cell phones. All right. Well, here's this new technology that has developed. It is apparently possible now to do to leave what is called ringless voicemail. What ringless voicemail is, is businesses, telemarketers, whatever, can bypass your, your cell phone ring and go directly into your voicemail. So your phone never rings. And you don't even know that you've gotten an incoming call until you look at it and all of a sudden you see that you've got a new voicemail that's in there. Um, so it doesn't ring. So what's happening is there's these companies out there that are selling their services, the ringless voicemail. You know, it, people won't know it. They won't be able to block it. We'll just automatically put this into people's cell phones. The companies are arguing now to the Federal Communications Commission that, you know, this is you know, this is, we, we should be entitled to do it. Here's the story in the New York Times. Frank Kemp was working on his computer when his cell phone let out the sound of Mario from Super Mario Brothers collecting a coin. That signaled he had a new voicemail message, yet his phone had never rung. At first, I thought I was crazy, said Mr. Kemp. When I checked my voicemail, it made me really angry. It was literally a telemarketing voicemail trying to sell telemarketing systems. He had just experienced a technology gaining traction called ringless voicemail, the latest attempt by telemarketers and debt collectors to reach the masses. The calls are quietly deposited through a backdoor directly into a voice mailbox to the surprise and irritation of the recipient who cannot do anything to block them. And now regulators are considering whether to ban these messages. The concern is that it, as this becomes more prevalent, what's going to happen is your voicemail box is going to get clogged up. Debt collectors, theoretically, I mean, a debt collector could leave 10, 15, 20 messages, one after another in your voicemail box. They could set this on auto, whatever, and it, they could clog up the entire thing. Um, you could have, again, businesses that could just swamp your voicemail box with these things, and there's nothing that you are able to do about it. Um, the the businesses are saying, well, this is just a way to, you know, reach people, you know, and we should be able to do this. Um, there's no... There's no problem with this, and even if you're on a do-not-call list, you could potentially be bombarded by telemarketers because they would argue, hey, you know, this this isn't really a call. It doesn't apply. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If this isn't a law and it's not illegal yet, it should be. All right, do you think that these telemarketers or collection agencies should be able to essentially fill up your voice mailbox on your cell phones um, with this new ringless technology that's there? Or do you think the government needs to step in and say, you know, no, we're not going to allow them to hijack your personal cell phones? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm not a big government regulation guy. I'm not. But this is a situation that, candidly, it's scary. And I'm trying to imagine, you know, it's bad now when you get the calls from 
all right, you know, your, your, your automobile insurance or the warranty is about to expire or, you know, whatever, when you get the multiple calls, at least when they ring, you can see where the number is, you can block it. Chances are it's going to come from another similar number. But this idea that you can just go directly into somebody's voicemail and leave message after message after message. I mean, if we, if the government doesn't stop this, it seems to me that that's all you're going to have in your voicemail. And Lord forbid, again, you've got a collector or something like that. I can easily see somebody, you know, auto using this technology to put 10, 20, 30 similar messages into your voicemail. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kathleen in Greenfield. Kathleen, good morning. You're on 620 TMJ. Good morning. Um, I think there should be a law, and especially because um, for people like me, I have a phone that I pay as I go. So yep. every voicemail that I would listen to, I get charged for it. Yep, right. Yeah, so I I get really, I don't even listen anymore. I mean, I I just tell my friends they're going to have to call me on my landline because I block every single one. I don't even listen. Well, well right. And imagine imagine for somebody, Kathleen, who's dropped their landline. So you, yeah. you've got, you, you, you all of a sudden, you look at your voicemail and you see you've got, the phone hasn't rung, but you've got like 15 voicemail messages. Well, all right. You know, maybe maybe that's your grandson, your son, or maybe it's your your spouse or whatever that's leaving a message, or maybe it's your friend. So now you have to sift through these different voicemails, trying to figure out which one is the telemarketer and which one is you know which one is one that you want to have. And like you say, especially if you have to pay to access these, of, yeah, no thanks. Of, of course, this to me, this to me is a complete and total no brainer. These these telemarketers. These debt collectors are vultures, and the idea that, first of all, you can do this is appalling enough, but the idea that they think they should be able to legally do it, to me, is appalling in the extreme. So, uh, again, the reason we have some of these laws that are there, the reason we have no-call lists are to stop people from being pestered, annoyed, bothered, harassed by telemarketers who are trying to sell you stuff that you do not want or just try to, again, in the case of collection agencies, you know, try to pressure you into paying. And look, and I, I think people should have to pay their debts. That's not the point. But, you know, collection agencies, by their nature, in my opinion, badger people to a great extent. And this is, I mean, this is a green light if this ends up happening. And frankly, um, frankly, I, I think that, you know, it, it's long overdue and it's scary ringless voicemail if you hear that term that's what this is all about and yeah i think there ought to be a law to stop it it's 943 this is jeff wagner 620 wtmj it's 947 jeff wagner 620 wtmj is it unethical for a for-profit company to purchase the organs from donors who assume they'd be used without a price tag attached? Their debt just might be happening right here in Wisconsin, and you don't even realize it. Scafidi and Billstead have the details, and take your reaction at one thirty-five this afternoon. In about 45 minutes, we're going to be joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin. Five years ago today, five years ago today, there was the recall election where Scott Walker became the first sitting American governor to survive a recall election. He did it handily. We're going to look back. All right, there's a story that I, I think it's interesting. And my question to you is, even if this happened, 
Do you think there should be anything wrong with it? All right, headline. Milwaukee woman says a Greendale officer profiled her at a traffic stop. A Milwaukee woman has filed a racial profiling complaint with Greendale police, claiming that an officer pulled her over based on her appearance, asking for her immigration status and social security number. Okay, the woman, who works as a medical assistant in Greendale, said she was on her lunch break Wednesday when she was pulled over by a police officer. Before taking her license and insurance information, the officer first asked whether she was a U.S. citizen. He then asked for and wrote down her social security number. I got really noted, um, and she's at a press conference with the Votes de la Frontera folks complaining about this. I got really nervous, but I shut down and kept going, answering the questions the officer was asking. Then the people from Votes de la Frontera said, this is an example of what will become normal if Assembly Bill 190, which would require um, greater cooperation from local authorities with immigration people, ends up getting passed. All right, the woman is a U.S.-born citizen out of Los Angeles. Okay, she moved to Wisconsin when she was six. The officer told her that he had stopped her because her front license plate was missing, which, as we talked about last week, that is, in fact, I mean, in Wisconsin, it's like a $140 fine if you don't have a front license plate, so put front license plates on. He also issued her a $10 ticket for not wearing a seatbelt. So he pulls the woman over. It sounds to me like it is a legitimate stop. She didn't have a front plate. Um, Once he stops her, she's also not wearing a seatbelt. But he asks her, is she a citizen? Um, And, you know, what is your Social Security number? And then he takes her other information. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here's my question. Assuming for the sake of argument that this did happen like the lady alleges, don't know if it did or not, I mean, th- does, this, does this bother you? I mean, I, I guess if, if, for example, if Greendale was to implement a policy that, you know, whenever somebody was legitimately stopped for a traffic offense, they asked, in addition to driver's license, in addition to insurance, they asked, are you a citizen and, you know, what's your Social Security number? All right. Would you be offended by that? I mean, does that seem like it is something completely and totally unreasonable? Now, you should be able, I guess, theoretically to find that when they produce their driver's license. But if, for the sake of argument, if Greendale were to adopt a policy saying, yeah, we're, we're going to ask for this information because we want to check this out, you know, and, and we... We are concerned with whether or not we've got people that are driving around who are in this country illegally. Th- does that bother you? And I guess my answer is, well, I, as long as you're doing it across the board, if you're doing it across the board, I I don't have a problem. She complains that she was pro- profiled because she apparently looks Hispanic. But all right, do it across the board. I don't mind. You pull me over because I don't have a front license plate, and I do have a front license plate, and you ask me for my Social Security number. I mean, I'm going to be producing my driver's license. I'm going to be presenting, producing my you know um, insurance information. I don't care. Let's talk to Connie in Grafton. Connie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, yeah, Jeff, I agree with you. I'm a white woman, and I also got pulled over for having no front plate. Um, so yeah. They were profiling me. 
Well, right now, I, I guess the argument would be right. Uh, right. The, the argument would be that if you were pulled over, that they, they perhaps as a as a Caucasian woman, that they didn't ask, they didn't suspect whether you were in this country illegally, so they didn't ask you for any other information. But as long as you're stopped legitimately, I, I don't right. know. Yeah, I um I, I no. agree. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Now, 414-799-1620. Again, I, I'm assuming the story is correct, and I guess I'm thinking, really, what's what's the big deal? First of all, when you produce your driver's license, like I say, that's gonna that's gonna lead to your social security number. So, I mean, they're going to they're going to obtain it one way or the other. But as long as it is a legitimate stop, and people do get stopped for not having a front license plate, um, let's talk to Valerie in West Bend. Valerie, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. I was stopped in West Bend for a speeding ticket and was very surprised when I was asked for my Social Security number. Um, At a later date, when I had um, found out that they do that, so that if you do not show up or do not pay your fine, mm-hmm. it will come out of your um, tax return. Okay, so you were surprised, but but now that you hear it, you understand why they might be doing it. Right. They. Um, I was very surprised when he said, what's your Social Security number? Because I assumed they could connect that through my driver's license, right. but it is for um, financial right. purposes. Well, you know, and I have to tell you, Valerie, I... I mean, I'm trying not to be the ugly American here, but even if it, even moving forward, if it, if it was for immigration purposes, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I guess I, I don't, I don't. What's frustrating to me is I don't understand why people who are illegally in this country think that they should have, when they come into contact legitimately with law enforcement people, that they should, that they shouldn't have to share information, or why people think that, for example, in this case, if Greendale determines that they have somebody who's illegally in this country. Now, this woman wasn't, but why why somebody thinks it's wrong for Greendale to contact you know, federal immigration authorities and say, hey, by the way, you know, we made this stop, and here's this woman, and she's here illegally, and then let immigration do what they're going to do. I, yeah, it wasn't anything to do with profiling. It's just a matter of procedure. Um, right. Th- thanks for calling. I, I, I don't have a frame of reference because, knock on wood, I, I just I haven't been stopped by police in I, I, decades. <laughs> you know, decades. Um, but at the, the bottom line of this, I just don't see an issue. Even as, now, I think Greendale, if they're going to do this, I think needs to do this policy across the board. That as a matter of course, you know, you you should you know ask make this this ask of everybody then you avoid this particular issue of oh you're, you're unconstitutionally targeting you know so and so or so and so just ask i mean if you do that i think you avoid any of these different issues and if greendale gets the information and it turns out that the woman doesn't have or a man or whoever doesn't have a social security number and is in this country illegally i don't have a problem with them notifying federal authorities and letting federal authorities uh, again decide what it is that they're going to do. You know what? I think the vast majority of people would feel the same way. If I was driving a car in France and I get pulled over and authorities determine that I am illegally in the country or I've overstayed my visa, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that, you know, they're just not going to let me go on my way. Why we think we should do it in this country is beyond me. And that does mean, I guess, as long as you're doing it as a matter of policy, 
Oh, what what's what is the big deal? Well, I don't want the officers knowing my social security number. Well, again, my my guess is they can probably track it down. And anytime you apply for a job, for example, I mean, you you have to give a social security number. You have to show proof of citizenship or some form of legal residency. Even if Greendale did what they are alleged to have done, I'm sorry, I'm not outraged by it. It's nine fifty six. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in about 35 minutes. We're joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, to talk about five years ago tonight. That was the recall election. Time certainly flies. Hey, before that, though, Kathy Isis Griffin plays the victim card in what might be one of the worst press conferences ever. And I understand that is saying a lot. All right, did she gain your sympathy? We will discuss that. It's all coming up. It's 959. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1007. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jane, before you go away. Okay, we have this WTMJ talk and text line, right? So... And it's, you know, and, and it's a way, I, I love it, it's a way for people to communicate stuff, and, and I, I really like it. There, there's the occasional stalker who goes off their meds and sends, like, 10 or 15 different, like, texts, and you kind of go, okay. But, but otherwise, it, it's, a, it's a pretty good thing. This, this is my favorite. It just came in. Um, William, we haven't heard from you. If you're interested in a regal cinema job, call, and then it gives a number. <laughs> Are you so, applying? <laughs> well, I'm not William either. I mean, I, it's obviously they. I, it's it's obviously so. So William, if you've applied for a job at the Regal Cinema and you're and you're worried about you know you're, why you're not hearing back, well, because <laughs> you may want to resubmit that application. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, William, we haven't heard from you. If you're interested in a Regal Cinema job, call. Okay, so well, call him, William. At, at, <laughs> it's a job waiting for you. We're, we're just we're just trying to help out here. Now, other public service, that's, right? Here. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, that's now, Honda. That wasn't you using our text line to apply for the Regal <laughs> Cinema job, right? Okay, all right. Okay, got it. Yeah, right. Well, I've, I've, I've got the number because William's probably not going to get that message unless he's listening to the show. So there might be a vacancy. Um, we've got Governor Walker coming up in about half half an hour, and we're going to be talking about the. Um, Obviously, we're going to be talking about the the recall and five years ago today. But you know, maybe I know he's having a press conference a little bit later on this morning about the, the transportation budget. Maybe we can sneak in a question about that or two as well. All right. Um, it was by all intents for all intents and purposes, and I think I, I think you know there, there's I make a point all the time that when you make a mistake and you've dug yourself a hole, sometimes it's best to just, there's two ways you can go. You can keep digging, or you can climb out of the hole, fill it up, and move on, declare victory, or, or whatever. Kathy Isis Griffin had a press conference on Friday. It was occurred right at the end of my program, and I had a good chance to go back and, and watch it. Um, you perhaps have, have seen it. Kathy Griffin, of course, is the D-list comedian who decided it would be a good idea earlier this week to pose holding a severed head of President Trump um, covered in, in blood. And she posed in a pose that was reminiscent of the pose that the terrorists use when they are holding up the, the heads of people that they have beheaded. 
the reaction was universally negative. And after first defending it and then recognizing how bad it was when people like Al Franken say and you know Anderson Cooper, her, her buddy on CNN, when, when they you know, broke bad on her. Then she immediately said she was going to apologize. This cost her a couple gigs. She lost some. Uh, she lost one of her sponsors, Squatty Potty, whatever that is. Um, she had a couple of her um, shows that ended up being canceled. And perhaps most significantly, she did this New Year's Eve thing with Anderson Cooper on CNN. Even CNN decided, nah, our, our reaction is we're we're gonna we're gonna dump her. So. She decides she's going to have a press conference on Friday. So she shows up at the offices of her civil rights lawyer, and she has this press conference where she says, I'm not afraid of Trump. He's a bully. I've dealt with older white guys trying to keep me down my entire career, says that the reaction was over the top. It was a parody of Trump's own sexist remarks taken to an extreme, absurdist visual. She says, um, it became a mob mentality to pile on to me. She said, um, what is happening to me has never happened in the history of this great country. A sitting president of the United States, his grown children, and the first lady are personally, I feel, trying to ruin my life. They are using me as a shiny object, so nobody talks about this FBI investigation. Um, she then goes on to talk about how she's not going to be uh, kowtowed. Um, her lawyer says that she's going to continue to be a fierce, brutally honest um, shero that millions love. All right, 414-799-1620. That is, the Af- that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, let's tee this up. Has Kathy- was Kathy Griffin a victim? Um, was the fact that she lost some gigs, was the fact that CNN dumped her, was the fact that the president and his uh, wife respond, and his son-in-law or his son, was the fact that they responded to this, was this disproportionate? Is she being victimized? Um, nobody has ever had this kind of reaction before. All right. Was she being victimized? Or is this just another whiny comedian who thinks that the rules and standards of conduct and decency don't apply to them? Are you feeling sorry for Kathy Isis Griffin? 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's start with Mike in Chicago. Mike, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I I just want to say thanks for talking about this because, uh, yeah, you're right to call her Kathy Isis Griffin, just like we call Jane Conda Hanoi Jane. Mm -hmm. She was gullible, and she got. She was able to get somebody to talk her into doing this, whether it was part of, part of uh, her idea as well, sort of like Hanoi Jane. But she is this generation's Hanoi Jane. She needs to be treated this way. She needs to be vilified this way, and never forgotten what well, she did. Well, well, and, wait, and do, I, do you I think this you, is going to? Do you think this is going to significantly hurt her career, or will she become the darling of the left? Absolutely, it should. And I'm glad that other people are on board with, uh, with with shutting her down, just like they did Jane Fonda. Uh, Jane Fonda went through hell because of what she did when she took that picture yep. uh, in a in an anti aircraft gun, yep. uh, deliberately deliberately mocking uh, you know the country, um, deliberately you know just you know throwing terrible 
Yeah, but the, but, but thanks to call Mike. But the truth is, I mean, the truth is, you're, I mean, Hanoi Jane, right? That stuck, and there's a lot of people who still remember it because you're referring to her posing, smiling in the North and the North Vietnamese anti-aircraft battery, sitting around a gun that's been used was used to shoot down American planes. You know, people remember that. But Jane Fonda had a great career. It did not kill Jane Fonda's career. She went on to do all sorts of things. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text. Kathy Griffin, in my opinion, is not a victim. Whatever else she may be, she is not a victim. She made a calculated effort to try to – I mean, she not only posed for these photos. You know, the Bill Maher story we were talking about earlier, at least the guy's on live TV, and it's not a scripted moment, and he uses the N-word. Now, I don't think there's any justification for it. And like I say, I think if it was a conservative comic that did that, they would never be appearing on HBO again. HBO isn't going to pull the plug on Bill Maher because being liberal means that you can get away with this stuff. But but that being said – this, this was not a spontaneous moment. This was something that Kathy Griffin planned. This was something that they, all right, she says, well, it was the end of the day. But, I mean, they got the prop. There were people around. They said, okay, we're going to do this. And then she's the one that decides to tweet this out. She was trying to be provocative. She was trying to get attention. She was trying to make whatever the heck statement um, that, you know, she, she made. But, all right, um, but there was the blowback. You know, there was the blowback that came from this. And I guess I look at it and I think, all right, she's many things, but she's not the victim. This is the consequence of doing what you did. And, yes, yes, she got singled out by the president and by a couple of his kids. And, yes, you know, she lost gigs. But, okay, this is the consequence of doing that. I've never argued that she should be prosecuted. I don't believe that this was a threat against the president that the Secret Service needed to be involved in. Just like when Ted Nugent said things about President Obama, I didn't believe that that was something that he needed to be prosecuted for. But there is, in fact, I mean, there are consequences. 414-799-1620. i got to tell you, I think this press conference was a, I mean, another one of these rules is you don't have press conferences unless you've got a clear theory of what you are trying to convey and this i am a victim playing the victim card give me a break we continue the conversation next if you're on the line please hold on it's twelve sixteen. jeff wagner 620 wtmj it's ten nineteen. jeff wagner our text line has just exploded let's see jeff at fox point writes she's definitely not a victim there are consequences if people like anderson cooper are publicly disapproving of her behavior i think she has little chance of becoming a darling of the left uh, Doc writes, Dingbat Kathy is a victim, question mark, a victim of her own stupidity. Uh, let's see, Chris and Oshkosh texts, my message to Kathy Griffin is the same as my message to my own kids. Life is full of choices, and sometimes you choose poorly. <laughs> there is there is um, something to be said about that. Another text, she's taking a play from Hillary. I am not responsible for anything. I am the victim. Yeah, this was, I mean, this was clearly something a bad decision, you know, and it, it snowballed. But then to have the audacity to show up at this press conference and be crying and be blaming the president. Gee, the president went after me. Yeah, okay, you hold up a bloody severed head that appears to be him, and you're surprised that you get some blowback? I mean, seriously? Kathy in West Milwaukee. Kathy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. <laughs> I was saying that um, I think she was so mired in the leftist rhetoric that she she didn't 
really have a good idea of what right. the rest of the country was thinking. And I find it kind of ironic that she's going, oh, this woe is me. I, you know, I've never, nobody has ever been treated this badly. And it almost is an irony of, um, or a parody of what Trump said when he was talking about how he's been vilified. And it's like, I don't know if she even realized the irony of what no. she was saying. Well, well, right. No, and I think you're right. I think she's in, she's in this liberal, we hate you know the president bubble that is that is that's there in Hollywood, and to the point that I guess what's so amazing to me, Kathy, is that there was nobody in that studio, that nobody that said maybe this isn't a good idea, maybe you're kind of going too far, maybe we should rethink this, and then so she takes the picture, and then she's the one that tweets this out, and then she's the one that defends it until it becomes apparent that people aren't buying this. I mean, nobody saw this coming. I think maybe that's as telling as anything. That's true. Um, Thanks for calling. No, I whatever Kathy Isis Griffin is, she's and she's not she's not a victim. She did this. This was a calculated move. Let us be honest. She, I think Kathy is absolutely right. Um, She misjudged, Kathy Griffin misjudged the mood of the country and misjudged the reaction. Jay in Johnson Creek. Jay, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Well, good morning. I think the only way I would call her a victim would really be if you called her a victim of the liberal ideology that they spout all the time. Mm -hmm. And... I believe that she, I mean, one, she's vile. She's really just awful. But when you look at her, they, I think she believes that success and the wealth and the, really the success of people is a finite pie. You know, it never gets bigger. It never gets less. It's always the same. So her job is to steal the success and beat down other people to get a share of their success. Yeah. So she can have it. Yeah, and I guess. Yeah, I mean, and again, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really have an. I have truthfully, I haven't seen enough of Kathy Griffin to have an opinion one way or or the other. I've never, I don't think I've watched her comedy specials. I haven't ever seen her on this this thing on CNN on on New Year's Eve. I mean, I know who she is. I've never been to one of her shows in Las Vegas and things like that. So I, I, I don't really have much of a position one way or or the other. And again, if you want to be edgy and you want to do stuff. Fine, okay, be edgy and do stuff. But then, you know, don't whine about the consequences and this, oh, they're trying to destroy my career. Hey, lady, you're the one who is destroying your career. And if your career takes a hit because you went too far and didn't display the judgment that God gave a goose, well, okay, that's not President Trump that's blame. It's not, I mean, the, the Hillary Clinton right-wing conspiracy. It's, it's you, Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, no, I don't think she's a victim. I think she uh, got this calculated out because everybody's talking about it now. This is a D-lister who's yeah. going to do whatever they can to keep in the media limelight. Yeah, and, and sometimes, sometimes, right, this was, I, I think you're probably right, that this was a... You know, this was an effort. This was a, a, a cry for attention. And she just, I don't think, I think she perhaps misjudged you know, the, the type of attention that she was going to get. But that that certainly doesn't make her a victim. I mean, I'll agree she misjudged it. But um, if you look back uh, 20-some years ago with the comedian Andrew Dice Clay. Right. I mean, he went, went overboard, and for a while it kind of hurt his career. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, he's back yeah. out there now. He's got his own TV show. He's 
Right. But but he's no. But you're right. But but like Andrew Dice Clay is nowhere near as popular as he was in his heyday when finally you know people started backing off, true. saying no. Thank no. You're right. I mean that, that's it. That's an example. I mean there were people. Now Andrew Dice Clay did a show that you know some people argued was offensive because it was misogynistic and all those things. And and finally people just got tired of the act and you know he ended up kind of disappearing for a while. Now now he's back, but he's nowhere near as popular as he was. Is Kathy Griffin going to fade away? No. And my guess is there there will be places she'll probably be you know welcomed warmly in berkeley california um question is you know can she play mid-america anymore and if she doesn't well it's not because of donald trump it's because of her there are real victims in this world she is not one of them it's ten twenty-five. this is jeff wagner It's 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, It took months for Valenti Classics to build this year's incredible WTMJ Classic free ride. How did they do it? Check out the time-lapse video of the entire restoration in the Classic Free Ride Garage section of WTMJ.com. Hey, Honda, who's producing the show, during the Kathy Griffin press conference, did you see that she name-checked Potawatomi? No, she... She was, you know, she was talking about being a working comedian and how, hey, one night I'm at the Performing Arts Center and the next night I'm I'm at Potawatomi. So she was at Potawatomi of June of last year, I guess. I'm, I, I'm not sure how Potawatomi feels about necessarily being name checked at this point by uh, Kathy Griffin, but uh, it's, uh, you never know. Again, it's just. It's just the consequences. You know, you decide you want to do some of that stuff, that that's fine. You want to be edgy, just suffer the consequences. Here's on a text line. I believe what she did, uh, I, I believe what she did was morose and offensive. Absolutely, she has the right to free speech. However, that does not justify her actions. The fact that she participated willingly makes her accountable and certainly not a victim. She is hiding her poor judgment behind her victim mentality. I think that's pathetic. She should learn from her mistakes. Yeah, and like I say, if this, if this damages her career, and I don't know whether it will or not. Like I say, I think it might. There's some people that might say, well, we're, we're going to stand up for her, and she's absolutely right, and Donald Trump is this, and Donald Trump is that, and it's fair game. Um, like I said the other day about this, though, if this reversed the situation and if you had anybody that was holding up a severed head of President Obama in a similar sort of fashion, that person would never work on network TV or on the major cable channels again. Hey, Ron Johnson, um, who was actually on our morning news, Ron Johnson creating a little bit of controversy, but he, he's absolutely correct. Over the weekend, he comes out and they, they're asking him, what do you think about the decision to pull out of the, climate, the Paris Climate Change Accord? And he says, I don't really think it makes much difference either way. And you know what? He's absolutely right. As I've been trying to say since this news broke last week, it doesn't really matter. The truth of the matter is, in the United States, we are moving away from coal. As natural gas becomes more plentiful and cheaper, the economics of it is that we're moving more towards national natural gas, and that will continue to be the case, regardless of whether you have a Paris Accord or not, unless and until the economics change, and nobody thinks that's going to happen in the near future. Ron Johnson is absolutely right. Paris Accord or not, it's really not going to make much difference. The economy and the economics of producing energy are going to take care of it. You know that's going to be an issue. Oh, he, he said, he said, I don't think it really makes much difference either way. Yeah, he said it, and you know what? He's right. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Five years ago today, June 5th, 2012, Governor Scott Walker became the first governor 
in U.S. history to survive a recall election. As a matter of fact, he won the recall election by a larger margin than the margin when he was elected governor in November of 2010. It has been five years ago to the day, and we are now joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Scott Walker. Governor, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Hey, does it seem... In some respects, it seems like it was yesterday. Some respects, it seems like it was decades ago. Um, how do you feel about this? No, I would say exactly the same. That that uh, I can remember, uh, still remember uh, exactly the feeling we had. We we had no idea who who did. I mean, even with polling and everything else out there, we we still had no idea because no one had ever gone through something like this. And then to have the announcement less than an hour after the polls closed. Uh, what an affirmation that uh, the people of this state had, had meant it when they said that they wanted common sense conservative reforms, and uh, they affirmed us, like you said, not only by a higher percentage but by higher vote count, an actual vote count, than in 2010, and and we've kept up since then, which is great news for the people of the state. Were you? I know we've talked about this in various forms before. Were you surprised at the? the reaction to Act 10, and do you think it was an overreaction by the left? Uh, yes and yes. Y- yes, I was surprised. I knew there'd be pushback. As you know, Jeff, and maybe your listeners do over the years, uh, obviously being in Milwaukee County, we'd get in a fair amount of pushback, even had protesters in the in the uh, county courthouse in the middle of my uh, budget addresses, for example, and other things. But, but we had no idea the magnitude. And Obviously, what changed was a week or two into the protest, you started seeing national groups bringing people in and being much more engaged than the national, the Washington, D.C.-based special interest groups and the big government union bosses bringing people in. And they were really making this their waterloo. This was their final stand. And uh, so we had no idea it would get that big and that large. But I do think they overreacted. I, I remember literally about this week, uh, uh, six years ago, the protesters that particular day were dressed as zombies. They came out of the Capitol. They got between me and the Special Olympic athletes I was talking to at the law enforcement memorial outside the Capitol. And I think that was the start of people in the state saying, wow, those people are not like us. We wouldn't do something like that no matter how we felt. And I think it's been part of the trend ever since then that here in Wisconsin, nationally, there's been an overreaction. I think even this weekend you saw state Democrats basically say, hey, we weren't liberal enough to win. We've got to be more liberal, uh, more elitist. And uh, I think that's going to continue to down the negative path versus we're saying, hey, we're going to help everyone in this state move forward. I, I, I think you're right. I, I was struck by the intensity of the protests and the way I think a lot of people who might have had legitimate disagreements with Act 10 just, just overplayed their hand. And you saw that on the national news on an almost daily basis. Well, I remember someone from the, I think it was NBC News, I remember right, asking me at one of the press conferences I was holding daily in the middle of the protest at the Capitol, and she said, well, Governor, don't you don't you hear these protesters? Don't they have a right to be heard? And I said, sure, that's what's great about America. You can petition your government, even if you disagree with it vehemently. Uh, but I said that the noise of the protesters should never overcome the voices of the million-plus people who voted for me to do the very things that we're doing. And I think oftentimes, not only here, but particularly in Washington, uh, politicians think that, that just because there's protest, that that equates to where the majority of people are at. You, know, you need to do what you said you were going to do, 
follow through, in this case, follow through on common sense conservative reforms, go big, go bold, see them through, and, and in the end, uh, I think the people, not only do Republicans appreciate that, and even independents, I think there are some discerning Democrats who are hungry for leaders who actually do the things they say they're going to do, and that's why, again, not only did I win the recall and then get reelected, but we've seen Republicans in the legislature gain to their majorities in each of the last three cycles. Governor, I, I know you have never, ever, ever played the, the victim card in connection with this, but I know from a personal perspective for you, for your family, and for several of the Republican senators who stood by you and supported you know, the Act 10 reforms, um, th- there were people who put put all of you collectively through a, a, a special kind of you-know-what you know um, in the way that, that you were treated. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, none of us complain. I mean, not only was me and my family, for sure, the death threats, the, the, the grief, the letters to Tonette, the, the comments on Facebook about my son, but, but others, you know, Scott Fitzgerald had someone banging on his window uh, on a farmhouse far removed from the road at, I think, like 6.45 in the morning, and Robin Voss, who was then the co-chair of the Joint Finance Committee, I think had a beer poured on him once when he was sitting at some event, and he just had these awful, outrageous, nasty things, things we would never dream of doing, uh, I think, for most of us here in the state, no matter what your politics. And, uh, you know, we just, we, we persevered. But i got to tell you, personally, uh, five years ago, on June 5th, 2012, I don't know if many people picked up on it at the time, but, but Tonette, Matt, and Alex introduced me. And when I came out to the stage, I, I think I probably gave at least what felt like an abnormally long hug uh, to them. And uh, But it was really for us as a family, it was just that moment where, uh, more than being thankful that I had won, I, I personally, as a father, as a husband, was just thankful that it was over for them, that, that all the crap, all the grief that they were done, it was complete, that our family had not only remained intact but was stronger. And, and I hope that's, uh, you know, since then, that's been a sense of where the state as a whole is. You can have a disagreement, but I don't think we'll ever go down a path like that again, and I think that's good for all of us. You know, Governor, from a political perspective, as as contentious and as awful as the process was, um, there are some who, who believe that you're being the first governor to survive a, a recall election really thrust you and the reforms that you were talking about into national prominence. In, in a weird sort of way, was this whole recall thing, as you look back over the last five years, sort of good for you and, and good for the issues that you're trying to promote? Well, but, yeah, bizarrely so. I never would have recommended it to anybody going <laughs> in, but... but but, you know, perseverance, I, I think in, in this state for sure, but I think across America, first and foremost, people are hungry uh, for authenticity. They want people who are willing to do the things they said they're going to do. They want people who are not going to back down. Um, and uh, so that certainly helped in the recall. But, but you've seen it elsewhere. Uh, I, I now lead the Republican governors of all across the country. There's 33 of us. That's the highest number since 1922. Nearly the record could be next year, the record amount. And uh, so two-thirds of all the states are led by Republican governors. Two-thirds are led by Republican legislative majorities. And they're not just, we're not just winning. Uh, we're winning the reform battle. We're, you look in Iowa, did something similar earlier this year to what we've done. You look at Missouri and Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky hadn't had a Republican governor, I think, more than, well, more than, I think this is the second they've had since Reconstruction. And you look at these states where voters have said, hey, we're going to give Republicans a chance. And then they've gone out champion big, bold, positive reforms for their state and continue to do that. I even think the president, the vice president's election here and across the country, 
was predicated in part by not what I did, but what we did here, and that others did that, and then voters in big states like Wisconsin, like Iowa, like Ohio and Michigan uh, gave uh, Donald Trump and Mike Pence a chance because they said, hey, our, our Republican leaders in these states are doing the things they said they're going to do. Let's give the Republican ticket a choice or a chance as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Governor, I, I, I've often thought that um, the, the, obviously the, the, the threat of a recall, it's something that no governor wants to go through. But the fact that you were able to make the big changes and then survive the recall election had to send a message to other governors across the country that, hey, you, know, you, you can do what you think is right. And don't, don't worry that the people are going to be with you if you're doing the right thing. Right. And we've seen it not only in collective bargaining and on things like right to work or giving people the freedom to work where they choose. We've seen it now in tax reform, regulatory reform, welfare reform. I'm proud that, you know, kind of in the spirit of Tommy Thompson's leadership decades ago, we're now leading the nation again in welfare reform. But other states are following through. They're looking at what we've done here. They're saying, hey, if if voters can respond that way after all that pushback, after all the grief, after all the resources brought in nationally, it can make a real difference. And so it's a, it's an exciting time. It's part of the reason why I'm, I'm pleased, for example, the president's going to be in next week on June 13th, yes, in part to help us campaign. And by the way, if people are interested, they can go to scottwalker.com and, and sign up and join us. But but, the, but also because it, I think he loves, not just that he won here in Wisconsin, but he loves the fact that Wisconsin is showing the way for the rest of the nation how to get things done. Have you announced where the event is going to be? Is that public yet? You know, I think they were just nailing that down. They nailed us. A, they gave us a date, but it's in the Milwaukee area. Okay. I don't know if that's been publicly put up or not. I, I literally uh, uh, last night came back from Japan where I was did a whirlwind uh, Friday through Sunday uh, tour to go hopefully in a few weeks be able to announce a whole bunch more jobs coming to Wisconsin. But uh, it will be in the Milwaukee area. But if people want all the details, it's up at scottwalker.com. We'd love to have people join us for that, which should be a great event. As long as we're looking back over the last five years, obviously what precipitated the, the recall was the, the, the issues over Act 10. Any question in your mind five years later that Act 10 was the right way to go? Oh, i, I got to tell you, it couldn't be a more timely question. I, I just stopped at an elementary school in Heartland. I was in Hudson the other day in Delavan-Darian High School where, my, where I went to as a kid. Uh, but this morning, I mean, the team just told me about how great this was, and it wasn't just savings. I mean, you heard the story of districts being able to bid out their health insurance and save big money. They're a prime example of the district of school I was at this morning, the district I was at. But beyond that, the best thing they've said, and I've heard time and time again, was they said it made us closer to our teachers. It made us better for our teachers. Uh, they, I get to meet this unbelievable art teacher who was incorporating engineering and and, and uh, the trades into his work, even with these young uh, students there, they're able to acknowledge and reward a teacher like that because now in the state there is no seniority or tenure. You can hire based on merit. You can pay based on performance. You can put the best and the brightest in the classroom. And, and I've always felt that. And I love the over $5 billion worth of savings, but moments like I saw today where they said, thank you, this makes us a better school, and we can reward great teachers 
that makes it all worthwhile. You know, the flip side of that, Governor, is I have a friend who's a special education teacher. He tells me he thinks Act 10 was the greatest thing in the world because he is now in demand. And, and rather than being yeah. limited to a certain schedule, now he can actually you know go out and do what people in the private sector can do to an extent. And he's in demand, and he's got school districts that want him to come and work for them. So he, he says it's the greatest thing in the world for good teachers because, again, your services are wanted. Exactly. Well, it's talent, right? If someone's good at what they do, uh, people want to be connected to them. They want them to come work for their organization. And uh, that's, that's, I think, put a higher premium on outstanding teachers and educators. And uh, it was just great to see a bunch of uh, the good things they were doing today. Hey, while I've got you on the phone, um, I know you're going to be having a press conference and a little bit about the transportation budget. What, uh, where do things stand? Well, my hope is it's simple. My message is simple. Let's get it done. We're putting more money into local roads than ever before, more money in the state highway rehab than ever before. But we're putting the lowest level of bonding in this budget since before 9-11, and we're doing it all without raising the gas tax and without raising the vehicle registration fee. So my hope is we can get it done in this budget. We can get it done by the end of this month. And uh, we uh, the last thing we want when it comes to transportation is to break that out of the budget and uh, deal with it separately where it becomes much more difficult and where the likelihood is at least some will push to raise the gas tax, which we don't need. We also don't need to have a a delay. So permanently not having a a new budget doesn't do us any good. We don't shut down like the federal government, but but the the additional amount, for example, for local road aids to fix roads and bridges and potholes wouldn't be there. And I think all the people I talk to driving, more than anything, they want us to get that done. And our budget does that. Uh, just let's pass a budget. Let's get it done. You can tweak it a little bit, uh, but in the end, we've got a budget that funds major projects, fills our potholes, that fix our bridges. And in a larger context, that that has the incredible balance of putting. Think about this. Five years later, the reform dividend today is we're able to put more money, more actual dollars in the K through 12 education than ever before, and still reduce our property tax burden. What a great state to live in. And just one final question before I let you go. I know the timetable on any official announcement about your future and re-election. Uh, you said you were going to wait until after the budget is done. Is that that's still the timetable? Absolutely. Uh, but as you can imagine, what I've said, I've said before in your show as well, I, I, I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm more optimistic about the future of this state than I've ever been before. I see great things happening, and I'd like to make sure that continues. And, and uh, you know, as we prepare for an announcement, one of the best ways to do that is make sure that for one more term, um, the state's heading the right track. Governor Walker, I still can't believe it's been five years. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I, uh, I hear you. But like you said, it, it, some days it seems like it was just a few minutes ago. Other times it seems like it was a few decades ago. But either way, glad it's done. We're going to keep moving Wisconsin forward. Thanks for joining us this morning. Congratulations again. I remember that night. It was an amazing night five years ago. Congratulations, and we'll talk to you soon. It's 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You know, there's lots of legacies of the recall. One is um, the recall election, in my opinion, actually contributed to the absolute destruction of the Democratic Party in Wisconsin. Here's why. There were a lot of really smart left-wing political strategists who realized the recall was a bad idea, who realized that the recall wasn't going to succeed. And if it didn't succeed, you would have... Governor Walker being even more emboldened. 
Um, and so, but what happened is the Democratic Party got hijacked by the activists. You had the union activists, you had the out-of-state people coming in, and then you had the like the kind of left-wing crazies who went ahead, got all these petitions, and then you know Walker ends up winning with like fifty-three percent of the vote, higher number of votes, and a higher margin than we beat Tom Barrett, you know, before. And there were a lot of political strategists on the left who saw that coming, who just said, look, this is not the right time to go about it. Then the matter was compounded when you had all the activists, you know, coming in from out of state. And I think there were a lot of people who might have been sympathetic maybe with some of the concerns about Act 10, but who looked at – Looked at the way people were behaving, and the governor used that example. I remember he's speaking to the Special Olympics, and you have a bunch of people who dress up as zombies who bum rush the, the stage essentially. And I think a lot of people would look at that and say, "This is just not part of a group that we want to be party of." It turned a lot of people off, and it forced the mainstream Democratic Party farther and farther to the left, to the point that you know now i think it's unrecognizable to a lot of the people who years ago might have been the, the reagan democrats and i'm not sure how the democratic party comes back from that in this state or to the extent that it's going on how they come back from it you know nationally you you've got my gosh you you look there there's nobody on the horizon getting ready to run i mean everybody's talking about running against governor walker you know kathy griffin talks about you know d-list celebrities these are d-list to the point that like the 70 something year old aging hippie mayor of Madison, Paul Soglin, is now thinking, I'm thinking about running. Oh, my goodness gracious, a quasi-socialist, you know, aging hippie, liberal mayor of Madison running for the state of, was the governor of the state of Wisconsin? Good luck with that. I mean, seriously, you know, good luck, you know, with that. But there was a series of miscalculations, and in some cases, I think that the Democratic Party actually just getting hijacked, and quite honestly, I don't think they have recovered from it, and I don't think they have a path to figure out how to recover from it. But it was certainly an amazing time. Five years ago tonight, Governor Walker overwhelmingly reelected, becoming the first sitting governor to survive a recall election. And we were all there. It's 1056. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in just a couple minutes. All right. I want to go where uh, angels fear to tread. I want to talk about what California is doing with health insurance. And a lot of people across the world don't think we should be taking care of our Canada geese problems. Stick around. 1107, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Janie, I, 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 I leave... I leave the studio for the first time since I saw you at 8.25 in the morning. I yes. walk out, and all heck breaks loose. <laughs> you can never leave again. <laughs> all, all heck breaks loose. Like you're, just on, you're, you're on different microphones, and stuff is frozen and all that. Huh? You know, we, we, we turn on our own mics and things like that, <laughs> and I tr- go to turn on my mic at the top of the 11 o'clock, and it won't turn on. <laughs> and my headphones aren't working, and then I try to push something else, and that's not working. And so... The lights are on, but nobody's home with this board over <laughs> you here. You did an admirable job, and it's just, I wish, I, it, this is one of those reasons where if people, if we had a video here, they would watch you, you're like grabbing different microphones Stretching. and moving. Just, it just, I, I promise I won't leave again. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I, I promise. Things fall apart with you, Wagner. <laughs> that's, no, they fall apart when I'm leaving. With, without I leave, you, yes, I, without you. See, sorry, that's, sorry. That's, uh, things fall apart with me, too, so that's it. You did a yeoman's job, and we'll uh, we'll get it get it taken care of. Okay, Um I am I am intrigued by this because I don't think people have thought this through. But I, I want to have this this conversation. Um, lost 
for years and years, the idea of socialized medicine or or a single payer health care thing was something that nobody would support at all. Um, now, perhaps with the rise of, of Bernie Sanders, it's getting a serious look. And now Democrats and a lot of people on the left have moved from, all right, if we're going to move away from Obamacare, what we need to do is essentially do away with private health insurance altogether. And California is considering moving to what is called a single-payer system. Now, I'm not going to bury the lead here. If you would do this, it would cost employers and taxpayers in California probably about 400 B as in billion dollars. So there is this enormous expense that's there. The way it works right now in this country is that you get insurance through the private insurance market. Um, if, if, with the exception, if, if you're on Medicare, of course, you know, that's a, a quasi-single-payer system, you know, um, at least for the main Medicare. Then you have the private insurance through the Medicare Part B and things like that. The vast majority of Americans gets their insurance, get their insurance through their employers. And, you know, what happens is different companies have different policies and um, you have different choices that are out there and you can choose this plan or that plan. And then there's different networks that you are in network and different than ones that are out of network. But most of us get our insurance through our employers. There are a much smaller number of people who are either unemployed or self-employed, and now they get their insurance essentially through the Obamacare exchanges, where you have different insurers that participate um, and offer different plans. The problem is that Obamacare is cratering, and what is happening is more and more employers, more and more insurers are just getting out of exchanges. They're finding they can't make money, so there's fewer and fewer choices that are there. That impacts, obviously, the people who are in the exchanges. But that's still a small percentage of people. Like I say, most of us get our health insurance through our employers. Now, maybe I am unique, but I, I've actually I've kind of been satisfied with my health insurance. I, I think... You know, the company I work for does a, a decent job. I mean, I nobody likes paying for their health insurance, but I think I pay a fair rate. And I will tell you, as somebody who, you know, went some, through something in the last, you know, year or two that um, was just absolutely catastrophic, I was thrilled with the coverage. I was, I, I was um, you know, when, when my late wife needed treatment, we were able to get into treatment. We were able to see doctors whenever we needed it. Large health care costs, as you might expect, with a catastrophic sort of thing. But it was covered. It was paid for. I have I have no complaints at all about you know the coverage and the choices and all those different types of things. The system worked for me. What they are considering doing in California is moving to a Bernie Sanders model. It would be single payer. Under a single payer plan, the government would replace private health insurance companies paying doctors and hospitals for health care. Your employer would no longer offer insurance plans. I mean, so you're, you wouldn't get, okay, these are the hospitals in your network. These are the policies. These are the coverages. You would no longer get your insurance through your employer. Instead, 
everybody would, um, again, everybody would get their insurance through um, the the company, through the state, essentially. And you would pay and the employers would pay. Um, The estimates are, like I say, 400 B as in billion dollars for this single payer thing. Um, The model would be, I I guess, somewhat similar to what they, not quite exactly, but somewhat similar to what they do, you know, in Canada. This would be no more coverage through work or through federal public programs. It would all be in one state-subsidized plan. All health care would presumably be covered for everybody, which is why it costs so very, very much and why it would be so expensive to implement. Plus, you, you no longer have as many sort of choices. You know, what they see in Canada is they've seen rationing to the point that if, if you get diagnosed with cancer, instead of being able to start your chemotherapy treatments in a week, you probably have to wait two months. If you need the knee replacement, instead of being able to have it done in two weeks, you wait three or four months. If you've got that kidney stone that isn't passing and you need to see your urologist, that's four months. But but the idea would be that you have universal coverage. But what it means is if you're happy with your insurance now, you are going to lose it. You know, you're going to lose it. You may or may not be able to keep your doctor, don't know, but you're going to lose your current insurance plan. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is where the left is coming from now. And this is five years ago. You know, almost nobody was advocating single payer. Almost nobody was arguing eliminate employer-provided health insurance. Um, Here, let's have the government do it. I think this would be absolutely disastrous. I think something does need to be done with the people who don't get their insurance through their employers. And I I think Obamacare needs to be modified, repealed, replaced with something. But to blow up the entire system, to take away for those of you who get your insurance through your employers – I think that would be disastrous. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is single payer the way to go? California, and, and even their, their left-wing governor, Moonbeam Jerry Brown, um, he's not necessarily committing as to whether he's going to sign off on this. All right, do we want something like this? Candidly, again, I appreciate if you're in the private insurance market, there are challenges. And we got to figure out how to deal with the challenges. But I think for most of us, the vast majority, the 100-plus million people who get their insurance through our, their employers, I think most of us are, are relatively satisfied. Eileen in Greenfield, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. You're making my heart pump. Okay. We know Canada. We know their health care. We have relatives up there. And anyone that thinks that is the route to go, needs to see a psychiatrist. Okay, tell me why. It's, why? Yeah. You don't wait three months for a knee or a, 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 a whatever. You wait three years. Yep. My father-in-law at 85 had was hit by a car with a broken arm. He laid in a hospital bed, not in a room, in the hallway for 11 days before he was even looked at. Just because they there's not have, enough, right? There, because the wait lists are so long, and there's just yes, there's the doctor. And, and they don't have the doctor. 
doctors, you know, yeah. the doctors are leaving. We've got cousins that are now radiologists down in the Chicago area. You know, anyone that has money in Canada, the mayor of Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, uh, three years ago, we were up there and he, he was getting his chemo down at, uh, in the Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. You know, they come down here where we have the best health care in the world. Yeah, see, that's and, and, and that's what I think people are, are missing, Eileen. Do, do we They're have rationed up there? Well, exactly. Totally. It, well, exactly. Do we have issues with regard to a certain affordability issues and figuring out certain types of coverages? Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that, but yeah. to blow up the entire system, yeah. I think, would be nuts. Oh, it, it, it ludicrous! I, I I can't imagine anyone even thinking of that. Uh, I could go on and <laughs> on with stories. Um, and uh, I, I, I've got, we, my husband's got an uncle. He has been waiting a year and a half to get into a care for Alzheimer's. A year and his a half. Wife, his huh. wife is taking care of him because he can't get in. I, it, it, it's on no. and on. No, no, thanks for calling. And, and that's... That's the. I, I think everybody understands there is, and she hit the right. She's the right word. There would be a rationing of care that would occur. I, that when you hear this conversation about single payer, and I've watched like some of the town halls, and there's some of the the, the kooky astroturf people that show up, and they're holding the sign saying single payer. All right, what what people need to realize is if you like your insurance plan and you like your doctor. You go to a single-payer plan, and first of all, the costs for everybody is going to skyrocket. And and I think, like I said, California, $400 billion, and that's going to be paid by employers. That's going to be paid by employees. You know, So, number one, you're going to have skyrocketing costs, and number two, you're going to have rationed care. That is just the reality of what would occur if all of a sudden you tried to take the the Medicare approach and try to nationalize that, or in the case of California, make it a statewide sort of thing. So you're going to have rationed care. So if if you like the fact that, hey, you know, when you get sick, you've got the strep throat or you're running the fever, you know, you you can go in and you can get looked at um, in a really short period of time. Or when you break your arm or when you hurt your shoulder or when you have the kidney stone, that you can go in and you get in to see a doctor in a week or so or maybe in a couple days. All right, I mean, I think most people like that. That's going to go away. More expense, fewer choices, lower quality of care, um, in exchange for, yes, there, there are some people who are arguably maybe underserved now, and so they get to stand and wait in the same lines. But do we really want that in this country? I think it would be devastating, absolutely devastating, and I think people need to wake up to that, uh, that story. It's 1119. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Drive home with John. I'll put one of the top geography students to the test. South Sudan. South Sudan, you're right. How do you know all this? Can we stump the 14-year-old from Mequon? That's at 320 this afternoon. Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John Mercure on 620 WTMJ. Um, we announced this last week, and I'm, I'm, I'm being told there's just a huge response to this for 
I've never done a I've never done a cruise of any sort, and um, I haven't done a listener trip in a long time for a variety of reasons. I kept saying no, and the folks at Fox Rural Travel came to me and said, "Jeff, th- this is the one, and you're going to want to go on it. And if you're going to want to go on it, other people are going to want to go on it as well." It is the beautiful Blue Danube, a river so enchanting and inspired the world's best known waltz. You can discover it with me on the Enchanting Danube River Cruise with Uniworld and Fox Rural Travel. I am inviting you personally to join me. It's my first ever listener cruise. We are going. In October of 2018, we're going to be gently gliding from one captivating city to the next, from Budapest, the Queen of the Danube, to breathtaking Vienna, to delightful Salzburg, and much more. Each stop will let you stroll through historic towns, explore the panoramic countryside, and delve into the flavors and sights of the region. Now, if you'd like to get a little taste of the enchanting Danube, and by the way, they, they've got a big link up on their webpage, and we have a link to it on ours as well, all about this trip. The pictures are just incredible. But if you want to show up, we're having a like a get acquainted thing and an explanation, call Fox, Fox World Travel and have them save you a seat for their enchanting Danube show. It's coming up a week from tomorrow. It's June 13th at the Sheraton Brookfield. I'm going to be there. The show starts at 6.30, and then it's going to be followed by your chance to talk with experienced Fox World Travel consultants to get information and to learn more about this once-in-a-lifetime adventure. Um, seating is limited, and I'm being told they've got a huge response. So call 866-463-6946 today. Or if you want to get more details, go to foxworldtravel.com slash events. They've got the whole description of this trip. It is the Enchanting Danube 2018 from Uniworld and Fox World Travel. Come join with me. We'll, we'll have a lot of fun. It's 1123, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Should authorities be checking the Facebook accounts of visitors and tourists coming into the United States, or is that going too far into one's privacy? Hmm. Scafidi and Bilstadt want you to weigh in on the debate today at 1235. If I get a vote, it's no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, if you're going to be coming into the United States, all right, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking to see if you've made public comments like, I want to come and kill as many Americans as I possibly can. If you're going to say that on Facebook, I think it might be good for authorities to know about it. This is just another another example of the, the hypocrisy of, of some of the, the left, and in addition to me, just the, the, the pure cluelessness and, and rudeness. All right, um, there... We have we just got completed with the um, Scripps, the company I work for. Um, I, I think it, it's one of the great things that they do, and it really it's, they they sponsor their National Spelling Bee, and um, the the girl that won, twelve year old girl, Anya Vinne, um, she's a California resident. She is of South Asian descent. Um, twelve years old. Okay, she she won, she won the Spelling Bee on Thursday. She goes to. She's six. She's a sixth grader. She's on CNN and she's talking to um, the anchors on CSN, Allison Camerata and Chris Como. Don't know them. I don't watch CNN very much. These anchors, particularly the woman, this Allison Camerato, decide to use the interview with this twelve-year-old girl as the opportunity to make a political statement. So they're talking to her about you know how cool it was to win and all these things. And at the end of the interview, they, they ask her to spell 
COFIF, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Now, this is, of course, you know, Donald Trump sends out the thing, uh, the, the tweet complaining about negative press coverage, but he spells it C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Okay, it's a typo. Can I see a show of hands? Everybody who's rushing to send out tweets, you know, the times that you've had a typo. So it's a typo. But, okay, this, this pathetic CNN anchor decides, okay, I, I want to... I want. I've got this twelve-year-old kid who's accomplished all this stuff. I want to use her as a prompt to make a political statement. So she she gives out the word that the twelve-year-old doesn't get it. She doesn't know what the the woman's talking about. And then it's this like awkward, uncomfortable thing where she's saying, "Well, can you tell me, you know, what it means and how you, you know, where does it come from and things like that?" Ha ha ha! CNN, you know, making fun of. Again, using the girl as a prop to make fun of the, the president. Okay. Um, and so then, then okay, compounding this. So it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. You're using the 12-year-old as a prop. Shame on you, Allison Camerota. So then what she says, and again, the, the, the child is of South Asian descent. Um, the CNN anchor, after this kind of awkward thing, says, well, it's a nonsense word, so we're not sure that its root is actually in Sanskrit, which is probably what you're um, used to using. I don't know anyway. Okay, um, th- this gal is an Indian American from Fresno, California. All right, so the implication is the anchor is apparently assuming that she's apparently assuming that this this girl, because of her appearance or whatever, you know, reads Sanskrit. It's just, um, it's one of incredibly just racist, stupid uh, assumptions. And and it all starts, again, from deciding to use the CNN anchor, deciding to use this 12-year-old kid who's won the spelling bee as a prop to make her anti-Trump statement. And then you compound it by assuming that an Indian-American spelling bee champion could read Sanskrit. And this poor 12-year-old doesn't even know what the hell they're talking about. I mean, she's like... I, what exactly? So you give her a nonsense word. She doesn't get the joke because, you know, she's been doing more important things. She's not some sophisticated plugged in anchor on CNN. And then you compound it again by assuming that because she is an Indian American, that is not Native American, but an Indian American, that, that she knows Sanskrit. I mean, it's just and of course, CNN's not backing down. CNN saying, "No, no, we we have nothing to apologize." Um, she, um, you know, she was making a a joking reference. She was just trying to be funny. Um, and anybody who thinks otherwise is being incredibly cynical. Yeah. Well, again, you wouldn't try that. You wouldn't pull that um, if this had been Barack Obama. But because it's Donald Trump, it's fair game. And if you want to use twelve-year-old spelling bee champions as props, apparently CNN thinks that that's okay. Go figure. All right, coming up next, the war on Canada geese. Stick around. It's 1127. It's 1135. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yes, that promo. I said we were going to be talking about goose poop in this segment of the program. Um, one of the golf courses I play on is this time of year is overrun by these flightless Canada geese. They are all over. And yes, they're cute, they're cuddly looking, but but here's the deal: the the typical goose, this Canada, this the Canada geese, poops about a pound of poop a day. Um, so if you have a hundred goose, okay, hundred of these pound a day, 
and some probably poop more, some probably poop less. That's that's 36,000 pounds of poop in a year. That poop has to go somewhere. So it goes on the golf courses. It goes into the, the waterways. It goes into the parks. It goes into people's backyards. And it is a huge problem. Well, what's going on is the Department of Agriculture has this program where, you know, they will they will come out if you request assistance and they will come out. They will round up the flightless Canada geese and they, they will kill them. Um, they kill them with carbon dioxide gas and then they send them to a meat processor. So, you know, they, you get food out of this. There are at least a, this program's been going on for about, you know, 20 years, and it's designed to lower the goose population of these non-migrating geese in areas where they congregate in large number and create all sorts of problems, whether it's aggressive behavior to, uh, again, the, the poop problem. All right, last year, authorities killed more than 2,000 geese, according to state and federal figures. Um, in addition to using non-lethal means to contain the, the species. But the non-lethal means are expensive, and it doesn't work as well. That, that's just the reality. If you want to at least temporarily get rid of the problem, you go up, you round them up, you kill them, and then you, know, you, you, you distribute their food to food pantries or whatever. All right, in Wisconsin, story in the Journal Sentinel reporting at least um, three communities, um, Village of Twin Lakes, which is in Kenosha County, um, the city of Mondovi, in western Wisconsin, and Oconomowoc Lake, they're all taking part in the, these efforts to round up and to kill these geese. And there is a science teacher out of Kenosha who has started a petition um, effort trying to get these communities to oppose lethal measures. Um, the petitions, apparently there's like 57,000 people who've signed the vast majority of the signatures come from outside of Wisconsin. So it, it's people that aren't dealing directly with the problem. My guess would be there's not too many people in Oconomowoc Lake, for example, who are opposing efforts to kind of get rid of these geese that are crapping in their backyards. But but that's out there. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I have been in some communities lately, and again, this happens every year, but I've seen the aftermath from these flightless, these flightless Canada geese who have migrated here. They're not leaving. They are a huge, huge nuisance. That's just the reality. They have, they are in many cases overwhelming the environment which they are in. They defecate, they poop all over. So, you know, if you've got a place, you know, you're used to taking your kid to a public park. A lot of these parks become just unusable because there's goose poop all over. They create all these other problems. I say get rid of them. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Stacy in Kenosha. Stacy, you're first. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm against um, getting rid of them. Um the people have built homes where they are. My son played soccer in Kenosha in an area where there was a lot of water. A lot of soccer games were played. There's a lot of water. They've been coming for years. Yep. Um, they're pooping. It's that was, They were there first. Wisconsin kills 
everything. Well, um, well, well but you say, dogs. well, okay, but you say, that, well, wait, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about, you know, the, the, the Canada geese. They are coming in larger, they're here in larger and larger numbers, and yeah. they're overwhelming the environments they're, be, they're in. No, so you, they're not overwhelming. They're pooping more. Well, and, right, there's, well, there's more of them to the poop. They're pooping. They yeah. pooped before on the Gulf. Yeah, but there's more. They but there's my point is there's more of them. They were pooping there. Okay, so we just we just let them go. Clean the poop. Well, that's that's that's, that's dumb, Stacy. Clean the poop. That's look. All right. Here, here's what's happened. Yes, they they were they were here first. Okay. Well, to an extent, yes and no. They weren't here in the numbers that they were at. Clean the poop is not an accurate that I don't think that's an adequate thing. So you just allow this these flying pigeons, essentially, carp of the these non-flying pigeons, carp of the sky to essentially, you know, roam through people's backyards or the parks or whatever and ruin the quality of life for people. There is a food chain that is out there. I'm sorry, there is a food chain that's out there. And if the choice is having a public park that kids can play in without having to step on and step over a whole bunch of goose poop or getting rid of the nuisance birds, I say get rid of the nuisance birds, kill them, take the food, distribute it to poor people. It's a plus all around. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage uh, talk and text line. Jeff in Oconomowoc. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I I, I am well. Uh, do you have to deal with these these uh, the, the Canada geese? I do. I live on Oconomowoc Lake, and yesterday morning, I had twenty three of those <laughs> beauties on my in my on the lakefront. With Trinidad equates to twenty three pounds of goose poop. <laughs> well, well, Jeff, um, Stacy says clean up the poop. You know, they were there first. <laughs> well, well, I did, and then they come back and do it again. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean it's not a once a day visit either. Unless I go out there and right. scare them away, they're right back fifteen minutes later with another right. twenty-three pounds. And, and even if you scare them away, they're going to be back the next day, or they're going to be back a few hours later. That the, there's no way to get rid of them, uh, and and it it I mean, in all seriousness, it becomes a quality of life issue for you out there, right? Yeah, it does, and it's not just on the lawn, but there. On the piers, they're everywhere, and uh, it's got to be a health issue too. That we've yeah. got grandkids running around, and yeah, you know. It's oh yeah. Just, uh, well, it, it's, it's also something. no. It, it's also. I mean, the, the poop also. It doesn't stay on people's lawns. It, it gets into the waterways. You know. I mean, it's. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's. It is a larger public health issue. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, I, it's. I. I I, I'm, I'm funny because we're talking about goose poop, but this is a huge issue that if you live out there and this idea that just ignore them, they, they were here first or clean it up. I don't think people appreciate the significance of that because you're not you're, well, we're not dealing with a protected species here. I mean, really, you're, you're dealing with what is I mean, I understand there's the Migratory Bird Act and that thing. But but there's there's a million there's a million of these things out there and they they are spawning and they are creating problems and to me i think they need to be addressed we continue it right there we've touched a nerve if you're on the line please hold on should we just ignore this they were here first or do we have every right to say they're overrunning some communities and we're going to deal with it it's 11:43. this is jeff wagner
1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The story in the paper makes the point that the DNR estimates that the, the population of Canada geese in, in the state is about, last year, about 130,000 uh, geese. That's up from 119,000 the year before. They are, they are producing really, really fast. Um, and they have to be controlled. And one of the ways, the most effective way to control them is in areas where they're creating huge problems, what you do is you, you round them up and you kill them. And then you use the meat for food. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Al in Wales. Al, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. I enjoy your show very much. Thank you, sir. Uh, I, uh, I raised my children in Elm Grove, and they played soccer on the Elm Grove soccer fields right in back of the police station and library. And it was just an inch thick in some places. <laughs> and, and, and we would have to put down a plastic tarp on the floor of the car and the seats of the car because they would be just covered head to toe, their uniforms, their bare skin, their arms. Yeah. Yeah. And I often wondered what disease might uh, uh, come of this. Um, I, I've not heard of anything, but it was just such a nuisance, and oh, yeah. they would slip. They, they, they couldn't oh, run they would slip yeah. and slide. Yeah, right, and, and not to mention the pollution on the waterways and everything. I yeah. mean, it's... it's you know, it's I mean, thanks. You, this is it is a huge issue if you live in these areas. Uh, let's see our text line exploding. Does a lady who thinks we should leave the geese alone really think it's healthy for her son to play soccer in fields, you know, coated or filled with goose poop? Well, no. Um, I live on a small. Here's another one. I live on a small pond in New Berlin that has several goose families. I'm hosing down a couple hundred piles a week. Um, the one good thing is it's easy to clean, but the other problem is my old neighbor loves geese. She always leaves bread out for them to eat, and that's why the number of families have increased, I'm, I'm sure. Also, not to rant, but these geese are mean. I can't let my dog out some days because they would hiss and go after him or myself. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's the poop, and it's the aggressive type of behavior. Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Dave in 620 BTMJ. Good morning. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Good. Take them out. <laughs> <laughs> I live. Well, I live out in Genesee area. Right. But uh, I mean, I'll have 40, 50 in my yard. And the kids, when the kids were young, they couldn't go out and play. You know, and, and the thing is, they carry giardia. Right. Which you know, if, you, if a dog eats some of the goose poop, which they have a tendency to want to do. Right. And you, you couldn't even go out there. And I mean, I, I've trained them since then with paintball guns. I mean, uh, right. So they kind of, they kind of know the lay right. of the land on that. And as long as they're at it. You know, taking out the geese, might as well take turkeys with it, too, because I'll have a flock of 60, <laughs> 70 turkeys in the yard. Well, i got to think through turkey. Let, let me go after the geese first, okay? Let me, then, we'll, then, we'll think of, actually, then, we'll, then I'll think about the turkeys. But, I, I mean, it, again, it's this particular variation is by no means an endangered sort of, of species. This is a subset of the, the flying geese. They're, they're located, they're breeding, and they are creating huge problems in these urban type of areas or in these settings. And again, at the risk of being labeled, again, the ugly American, I, I do believe that there's this thing called the food chain. And if the choice is um, my, you know, I, look, I don't live in an area where we, where we have a lot of these. I don't, I don't see those. But, I mean, if, if you're out in le- the lake country, for example, and, and these, these stories, you got 30 or 40 geese walking around your backyard, crapping all over it so your kids can't play. At some point in time, if the choice is uh, allowing these, again, geese to do their business, 
or you know trying to preserve some areas so like human beings can enjoy these things i'd say um i'd say do it uh get rid of them let's talk to andy in milwaukee andy you're in 620 wtmj good morning hey jeff how you doing real well uh, thank you glad to be on the show um another perspective looking at this um i'm a duck and goose hunter um, but I've all but given up goose hunting. I'm right. limited. I can only shoot two a day during our regular season. Right. I mean, maybe we could help the goose population by uh, opening up those uh, bag limit numbers daily. Uh, we are offered a early season goose, uh, which is September 1st. The 15th, right. Where we're allowed five per day. But that's, but that's middle September through the end of uh, the year. Right. It's two per day. It's hard to take the time and justify the dollars spent to go set up to shoot two geese. Right, and and there's, and I see. By the way, I agree with you. I would greatly expand the bag limits. The problem that doesn't solve, and that might help a little bit. It doesn't solve the whole problem because there's lots of areas where you just don't have any intense sort of hunting or things like that. But yeah, I I think that's definitely you know one of the things because you're right. You know, an area if you can only take one or two, I mean, who's going to really set up and and do that? It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's not putting much of a dent in anything. No, thank, I, no, but it, this is look. This it this is this is a huge problem. I mean, it it really really is. And I understand are people like they're rolling their eyes. Well, all right. The, the truth of the matter is, if you live in one of these areas, it's overrun. You're in the calls. Uh, first guy we're talking to. I mean, he lives on Oconomowoc Lake, and he says, "I was counting. There's thirty or forty. I can't get rid of them. I won't even tell you what I have to do to my lawn on a daily basis." And maybe you say, "I'm I'm not sympathetic." Well, I am a little sympathetic to it. Let's talk to Dick in Grafton. Dick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Jeff, these these uh, geese are not indigenous to Wisconsin. They are an invasive right. species. I'm a couple of years older than you are, and I grew up in Shano on the Wolf River. I can attest to the fact that seeing Canada geese, Canadian geese, was a rarity. We would go outside and we'd watch them fly over. Right. Once in a while, they'd land on the river in front of us. In front of our house, people would come and take pictures. It was an oddity. The only way you could see a lot of geese was to go to the Horicon Marsh, right. which thousands of hunters do to, to, to hunt the geese. That was, that was almost as big as deer hunting. Right. Today, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of these things. My vote <laughs> is unlimited bag limit. Right. If that doesn't get the job, euthanize them. And as far as I'm concerned, you can line up pigeons and seagulls <laughs> right behind them. Yeah, that's uh, no. That, I, I, I'm with you on the. I'm with you on the seagulls as well. I got to think there was a story out of Northern Illinois where you had a guy whose whose place was overrun by I want to say seagulls, and he ended up shooting a couple of them, and then he got in trouble with the federal authorities for that. Look, I I, I appreciate the need to preserve the environment, but you know you're right, Dick. These are are not an indigenous species to Wisconsin, and it's being overrun. And again. I, I think, with all due respect, you've got some people who feel strongly about this, and there's all these people signing the petition. The vast majority of them aren't from Wisconsin and aren't dealing with the problems in their backyard.